So today we begin a series of sermons looking at some of the things that older people in the Bible did. And you will remember last week you got a leaflet. If you haven't got one, please do collect one on your way out. It will help you to know what we're going to do over the summer. The idea behind this is to kind of look at what they did and see how we might be with the same, deal with similar things, however that kind of looks. And Genesis 18 seems to me was a good place to start because it's hospitality. And actually, I think we're already quite good at that. So let's encourage ourselves that maybe we are. So Genesis 18 actually begins by telling us that the Lord appeared to Abraham. It feels when you read it a bit like a newspaper headline. The Lord appeared to Abraham near the great trees of Mamre. But it's a bit of a time before Abraham realises that that's actually what has happened. I think he probably worked it out when he read the newspaper himself a bit later. Imagine the scene. A tent encampment at Hebron near some trees, the great trees of Mamre. They were probably some kind of an oak tree. They were very significant trees for the local people, the Canaanites, in terms of their religious and their cultural acts. So they would have had, I don't know, some kind of ceremonies around these trees, the locals, that is. Um, So it was an important place to be. And quite interesting that the foreigner in the situation, Abraham, plonks himself right by these trees. In fact, it's here that, before he has the name Abraham, of course, he's called Abraham, it's here that he sets up an altar. But not, of course, to the neighbourhood's gods, um, but to God himself. We read about that in chapter 13. Verse 18, so Abraham, when he went to live near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron, where he pitched his tents, there he built an altar to the Lord. And he and his entourage stayed there for quite a while, during which Abraham will experience some of the most significant moments of his life. It's here that he will receive the news that he will miraculously become a father despite his advanced age. And it's the site of two out of the three moments when God appears to him rather than just speaks to him. In Genesis 17, we read of the time when God ratifies a covenant with Abraham. His descendants will inherit the promised land. And in order to mark that moment, that's when he changes his name and becomes Abraham. Just to note, that's also the point at which circumcision is introduced to the people. Effectively, you could say that this is Israel's foundational moment, but it's all happening in a place that was originally known as a pagan altar, which does seem a bit bizarre. And if all that wasn't enough, Mamre was also the place where Abraham purchased land as a burial plot, serving as the resting place for Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob and Leah. It eventually became known as the Cave of the Patriarchs, and considered the second most holiest place in Judaism after the temple itself. So it's quite a posh place, this one. Not just any old camping place. It seems to me that all of this illustrates some of the tensions of the early books of the Bible. While the Hebrews were indeed set apart as people dedicated to God, they were living in an area full of influence from other religions and cultures. And at times Israel was too quick to reject God for the gods of their neighbours. And yet at other times, pagan worship was effectively wiped out through military action. But in this situation, we find Abraham just living alongside. And I wonder if that is because of one of the things that Abraham is known for, and that is hospitality. 
So, back in our story, in the encampment, it's the middle of the day, in other words, it's hot. The sun will be high in the sky, and Abraham is sitting in the doorway of his tent, presumably trying to get some shade, maybe even a little bit of a breeze. <coughs> and he sees three men standing by. Now, semi-nomadic life in the country would often bring people from different families into contact with each other. And the character of Canaan as a natural land bridge between Asia and Africa make it a popular trade route. So in the absence of a formal industry of hospitality, people living in cities and encampments had a social obligation to welcome strangers. There were no drive-through costers at that time, or McDonald's for that matter. But there are some things to note about how hospitality worked. Firstly, a stranger would be transformed by hospitality from being a potential threat to becoming an ally. If you offer someone something, they lose their ability to threaten you. Interestingly, only the male head of a household or a male citizen of a town or a village could offer the invitation of hospitality. I wonder how many meals would actually be offered today if it was only the men that did the inviting. <coughs> the invitation may, of course, include a time span statement for the period of hospitality. So you might invite someone to stay with you for the rest of that day, or for a couple of days, or for a couple of weeks. And it can be extended that time, if agreeable to both parties, on the renewed invitation of the male host, of course. Interesting that, isn't it, ladies? Who's the ones who do the shopping? Well, we'll gloss over that. The stranger has the right of refusal, but that could be considered, of course, an affront to the honour of the host and could then be a cause for immediate hostility or conflict. That would be a disaster, wouldn't it, in the idea of hospitality? Once an invitation has been accepted, the rules of the host and the guest are set by the rules of custom. The guest mustn't ask for anything, so no, please can I have another towel or... Can I have a, some more tea sachets or whatever it is we do today when we go to Premier Inn or Travel Lodge or whatever? The guest mustn't ask. The host must provide the best he has available, despite what might be modestly offered in the initial offer of hospitality. And the guest is expected to reciprocate. Now, that's tricky if you're travelling, but the things they're supposed to reciprocate with are good news, predictions of good fortune, expressions of gratitude, etc., and general praise of the host's generosity and honour. The host must not ask any personal questions of the guest, but the matters can be volunteered by the guest should he wish. And the guest remains under the protection of the host until they leave. So in fact, when Abraham calls these men and says, come, Abraham is doing what is required of him by local custom. But when we read what he actually did, he went way beyond the local requirements. First, he offers water for foot washing, a rest under the trees, and something to eat before they continue their journey. Now, if they were three men who just needed a burger to keep them going before they got to their destination, imagine how their eyes must have rolled when they see Abraham choose a special fattened calf. And who knows what the assertive but 90-year-old Sarah must have thought or muttered when Abraham rushes into her tent with the message, I need you to bake three loaves and I need them now. Baking takes a bit of time. 
I think this episode perhaps provides the background for the New Testament command we find in Hebrews 13 verse 2. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing that some have entertained angels without knowing it. Abraham and Sarah did not really know who they were entertaining. But that doesn't matter to Abraham. He is generous and extravagant with his hospitality. And I've been reflecting on that a bit, and I wonder what our hospitality and generosity perhaps underappreciated in our Christian circles. And yet the Bible pictures the kingdom of heaven as a generous, even an extravagant banquet. We find that in Isaiah 25 and Matthew 22. In my experience, I don't know about yours, but hospitality fosters good relationships. And in this situation, Abraham and Sarah's effort provide an early biblical insight into the way relationships and sharing meals go hand in hand. These strangers reached a deeper understanding of each other by sharing this meal and an extended encounter. And it remains true today, doesn't it, when people break bread together or enjoy recreation or entertainment, we often grow to understand and appreciate each each other better. And better working relationships and more effective communication are often fruits of hospitality. In Abraham and Sarah's time, the hospitality was almost always offered in the host's home or tent, of course. Today, this is not always possible or even desirable. And the hospitality industry has come into being in order to facilitate and offer such things in a wide variety of ways. Just look at how many high street coffee shops have sprung up in recent years. Even ice cream parlours in Loughborough, isn't there? It's nice in there, I don't know whether you've been. If you want to offer hospitality and your home is too small or your cooking skills too limited, then instead you might take someone to a restaurant and still enjoy eating together and deepening your relationship there. Those who work in that place, hospitality industry workers, have in their own right, of course, an operation to an opportunity, sorry, to refresh people, to create a good relationship in order that you might go back, of course, to increase their profits. But nevertheless, they will provide shelter and they will serve others just as much as Jesus did when he made wine in John chapter 2 and washed feet in John chapter 13. Did you know that the hospitality industry today accounts for 9% of the world's gross domestic product? And employs, I'll bet this is a big number, employs, get this, 98 million people. That's a lot of waiters and waitresses, (coughs) chefs and all the rest. And of course it includes many of the less skilled and immigrant workers who represent a rapidly growing proportion of the Christian church. And even more engage in unpaid hospitality, offering it to others as an act of love and friendship and compassion and social engagement seems to me that the example of Abraham and Sarah show that this hospitality is profoundly important as service to God and humanity. But you might be asking, well, what's this got to do with me? Well, I want to ask all of us, how could we do more to encourage each other to be generous in hospitality, no matter what our profession is or what our age is? Because as we are hospitable with one another, so we will develop our relationships with one another and have opportunity to include our not-yet-Christian friends and help them to see the generosity of God to his people. 
Now, I know from experience that in this church, many are already very hospitable towards each other. But I want to ask us, how do we develop this further? What about the people in our streets and our community? How hospitable are we to them? Yesterday, the Shelthorpe Community Association held a fun... Well, we called it a fun day, but actually it was from 11 till 1, which is not entirely a whole day, although it felt like a whole day, on Farnham Road Park, just back here. And I reckon there was probably nearly 300, if not more, people came. And the thing that drew them at first was the offer of free food, hot dogs and burgers. But around, there were lots of other activities for them to do. And the thing that I kept hearing most said was, why don't we do this more often? We get to know each other better. And of course, that was the entire point. So um, Diane, who worships with us at 10 o'clock and in the evenings, and I are going to put this into practice during August. So during August, on Wednesdays between 2 and 4, the church here will be open for coffee, tea, chat, cake, whatever. It's an opportunity for us to get together and to bring those who don't normally come to church to just come and be in the building. We're not going to do anything particularly um, other than drink and eat, actually. (laughs) Um, But if you think that there's somebody you could bring so they could actually just come and be in here, that might be something that it's worth thinking about doing. Had we gone on to read in Genesis 18, we would have found that Abraham realises that these three men um, are very important men. And after a little um, story about Sarah and uh, overhearing something about having children and laughing, because that's ridiculous because I'm 90, um, after that, the men get up to leave and they look towards the town called Sodom, which is in the plain. Abraham walks along with them. And then the Lord says, Shall I hide from Abraham? Obviously talking to the men. Shall I hide from Abraham the thing that I'm going to do? And he decides not to hide it. So the Lord talks to Abraham. And Abraham talks to God. And after having been so extravagant in his generosity to these three men... He then goes through a bit of an experience of recognising that actually hospitality sometimes and care go further. So Abraham listens to God saying that the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is so great and their sin so bad that I'm going to go down and see. And if it's so bad, then I will destroy the city. Well, Abraham stands and listens to what God is saying. And he dares to approach God and says, will you really sweep away all the righteous people in those places alongside the wicked? And then he's really brave, in my opinion, because he challenges God. What if there are 50 righteous people? Will you really get rid of all of them with all the rest? His care for people in these moments for the people who are righteous is really paramount and in fact he challenges God about 50, about 45, about 40, about 30, about 20, about 10 and in their conversation Abraham and God learn together about who God really is 
God is reminded by Abraham that he's a God of justice and fairness. And Abraham learns in a very new way that God really is just and fair. And so his response to his generosity to the people, the three men, is, re- is replaced by a response of generosity in his mind to the people of this place that is so bad. And God responds to both. And although Sodom and Gomorrah are eventually destroyed, there is an opportunity for some to leave. Which, if you want to go on and read the story, is in the next chapter of the book. But it seems to me that Abraham's lack of dignity and his extravagant generosity, even his conversation with God about those who are bad and those who are good, show us one way in which we can put into practice Paul's challenge to the Romans that we read in Romans chapter 12. You see, Paul challenges them to not conform to the pattern of this world. We already discussed that Paul, that Abraham is sitting in the midst of this pagan culture and is dealing with all of that stuff and living alongside it. We already talked about that. But Paul says, don't be conformed to that. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And Abraham certainly is transformed as he challenges God, has that conversation and learns about the justice of God. But also, he learns about how he has a part to play in all of that story. And as we read the different bits of opportunities we have that Paul writes about, the different gifts according to the grace given to us, so we can find the ways in which we can put things into practice. Maybe we are people who prophesy. In that case, we are to do so. Maybe we are people who teach. In that case, we are to teach. Maybe we are people who can give encouragement, then we should do that. Maybe we are to lead and then we should do that. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully, as Abraham did in the conversation with God about Sodom and Gomorrah. But it's the serving one. If your gift is serving, then we are to serve. And I think at one level we all have that gift, I'm certain of that. For some of us it is particularly developed. And it may be that God is calling us to work out how we can serve our community particularly. Yesterday, in our prayer breakfast yesterday morning, we prayed particularly for the Beacon Academy area of our parish. How are we going to serve those people as we move into the second phase of our church planting project? Um, now, really, uh, where we plan, hopefully, to be able to plant a worshipping community in that part of the parish. That will mean serving those people. It will mean coming alongside them where they are, not expecting them to come to us. After all, that would mean crossing that enormous road, which is a bad thing in the first place. Um, But how are we going to serve them and serve each other and the wider community in order to bring glory to God's name? Abraham shows us that hospitality is a good start. Shall we make that start too? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story in your word that teaches us that hospitality is part of who you are and part of how you have made us to be. So help us to see the places where we can do that the people to whom you want us to be hospitable.
and the ways in which you want us to work together for the future. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.